a message of hope and good news for you. The program today is part of a series of programs called Give Me the Bible with Uncle Len. And the topic today is what God is like. Thank you, Len, for coming today again. We're enjoying your programs uh, so far, and uh, God bless you through this program. Thank you, Dick. Hello, my radio friends. It's good to be back with you again. I hope all is going well with you. You know, there has been a special offer made to listeners of this program each week, but I would like to make another special offer. In this confused world in which we live, some of you may be having difficulties that are really stressful for you. We would like to pray for you. All you have to do is phone the station number, leave your name and simply ask that we pray for you. You do not have to share your problem unless you wish to. Hopefully you have asked God for help, but there is nothing like having others to pray for you too. God is interested in you and he wants you to be happy, holy and healthy. But he knows that our world is infected with sin. And he knows about all the problems that are associated with sin. Things like disease, crime, broken relationships, sickness of body and mind, stress and unhappiness. In James chapter 5 and verse 16 it says, The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So why don't you get some prayer help? with someone else praying for you. Today, we're going to try to find out what God is like. The general concept people have of God is that he is quite austere. He is viewed as being stern, exacting and vengeful. Do something wrong and watch out. He is seen as an authority figure who is not willing to negotiate and who operates from the rule, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Many people regard him as cruel, as they have a concept of God, the Father, enjoying the screams of pain as the wicked ones roast forever and ever in hell. If that is what God the Father is like, I personally would prefer to keep my distance from him. But the Bible teaches that God is quite different than that. So let's find out what it says. First and foremost, the Bible says, God is love. Have you ever wondered where love came from? It is certainly not part of the dogma of evolution. Evolution teaches that the fittest survive at the expense of the weaker. There's no love in that teaching. It's also argued that caring for the weaker members of society stems from the desire to preserve the species. That does not fit in with the theory of evolution either, as evolution supposedly is unguided, the result of pure chance. To make efforts to preserve a species is interfering with evolution. So... Love has no basis there. 
Love is to do good to someone else, even at the expense of yourself. It's not just passion or pretty words. So where does love come from? Towards the end of the Bible are three epistles, that's letters, written by the prophet John. This is the same John who was one of Jesus' disciples. He also wrote the Gospel of John. Of God, he says in chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. To reinforce that statement, he says in verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. That doesn't sound like God is stern and exacting. It sounds like he is tender-hearted, kind and compassionate. And then from the same book we read in chapter 4 and verse 10, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, I'm aware that the Old Testament records accounts of some wars and about God's intervention where he was responsible for the destruction of certain people because of their wickedness. Admittedly, some of this is difficult to understand, but the way I see it is that those people who were destroyed were so wicked, so soaked, as it were, in wickedness, that they would never change their ways no matter what. Nothing could be done to change them from their course of evil, and therefore they met an early judgment. God hates sin, but he loves sinners. But sin must be accounted for. God cannot just turn a blind eye to sin and say, Ah, oh, that's all right. It's not all right. Sin has to be paid for either by our substitute, Jesus, or by our own death. The second characteristic of God that I'd like to mention today is that God is merciful. In the book of Exodus, the second one in the Bible, chapter 33 and verse 20, God is giving a description of himself to Moses, and he says, The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. The Old Testament records God's dealings with the Israelite people. If you read the story, and it is a long and complicated one, there you will see how the Israelites so often got themselves into trouble, involved in idol worship, involved in sinful practices. And there you will also see how God called them back to himself again and again. You would have thought that he would have been sick of the whole bang lot of them, but he was willing to forgive, provided they were willing to ask for forgiveness and change their ways. God showed his mercy time after time after time. I'm really grateful that God is merciful, otherwise there would be no hope for me. I have sinned too, but God did not cast me away. In the first letter of John, near the end of the Bible, chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Of course, that does not mean we should take advantage of God's kind nature, but it does mean if we are sorry for what we've done wrong, he is willing to forgive us. Put another way, mercy does not blindly pardon but it is guided by the principle of justice. Those who reject God's mercy will reap his punishment on their iniquity. I want to share another text with you from the book of Psalms, chapter 103, verse 14. It says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So God is love. God is merciful. And now a third characteristic. God keeps his promises. The Bible records how God made various covenants, that's agreements, with the Israelite people. If they kept their side of the bargain, he would keep his. Many times the people broke their side of the agreement but God was always faithful and kept his promises. The fourth thing I'd like to mention is that God is a God of refuge. Where do you go when things go wrong? Where do you go when others do wrong to you? Often other people are not interested in your troubles, but God is. Here are some verses that tell us we can come to God when we are facing difficulties. In Psalms chapter 27 and verse 5, it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then a few pages further on in chapter 55 and verse 22, it says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. And then going a little bit further in the same book, in chapter 86 and verse 5, it says, God, full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. There are some who think of God as a good buddy. At times that idea might be appropriate, but he is mighty, far above us humans in wisdom, intelligence and power. He is omnipotent, that means all-powerful. He is omniscient, that means he is all-knowing. And he is omnipresent, that means capable of being in many places at one time. Let us remember he created us and he sustains us. Although he is merciful, we cannot fool God, and yet... Despite his might and power, he loves us and we can take our troubles to him. That is really worth knowing. One more before the break. God is reliable. You may know someone who you just don't know how to take. Sometimes they may seem friendly. Then when your back is turned, do something or say something nasty to you or about you. Is God like that? James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Every good gift 
and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. And notice this, who does not change like shifting shadows. It would be too bad for us if God was fickle, where one day he would be kind to us and then on another day wanting us to get out of his sight, one day perhaps doing good for us, the next wanting to do us harm. God does not need us to butter him up or make sacrifices to him in order to get him to listen to us. No, God is constant and always ready to accept those who seek him. You are listening to Give Me the Bible, and this is a message of hope and good news for you. Please stay with us while we're taking a short break. Welcome back, listeners. So far we have seen that God is love, that he is merciful, he keeps his promises, that he is a refuge when we're in trouble, and he is reliable. Another characteristic of God is that he is magnificent. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9 tell us the following. God is speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Sometimes people question God, or even blame him for things that have gone wrong. Why did God allow such and such to happen, they say, or why did God not step in and do this or that? We cannot measure God by human terms. 
because he can see the big picture and knows all the facts, whereas we are limited. Really, when it is all boiled down, we know very little about God, but we know enough in order to be able to relate to him. For us to understand he who made the heavens and the earth, who is not bound by space or time, who is altogether righteous, who is the standard of goodness and righteousness, who is the life giver, and who keeps the universe running, it's just not possible. But we have enough knowledge of him to know that he loves us and cares for us and all that is good. I've used this analogy to explain how great, how mighty, how far above us uh, how far above us humans God is. Imagine a very tall building faced with bricks. We could say that the bottom level of bricks represents the lower forms of life such as worms, snails and insects. The next layer of bricks might represent the rest of the animal kingdom including things like sheep, dolphins, cats and dogs. The next layer might represent human beings. Where should we place God? I've asked some people that very question and they replied, the building isn't high enough to have a level to represent God. Another characteristic of God is that he is immortal. First Timothy 1 chapter 17 it says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honour and glory for ever and ever. Immortal means does not, cannot die. That's very strange to us human beings, as we are subject to death. Sometimes people ask the question, where did God come from? The short answer is that God was always there. No beginning, no ending. He is the a priori, the point at which everything, including human life, began. As human beings, we have no experience in understanding an existence without beginning or ending, because we everything we experience on planet Earth has beginnings and endings. However, we have the reliable word of God to go on, and that's enough for me. Another characteristic of God is that he is generous. It seems to me that God is always giving. He gives heed to our prayers. He gives blessings. He gives special gifts. He gives forgiveness. He gave of himself as Jesus became our substitute and gave his life to pay the penalty of death for our sins. He gives us a conscience. He gave us a rule of living. He is willing to listen to us and at any time. He gives his promises and we can rely on them. And most of all, he will give eternal life to those who are faithful to him. I want to share a story from my own life where God gave me a miracle at a time when I was desperate. I'll tell you this story to encourage you. After I completed my vocational training, I was given an appointment in the mid-north of South Australia. That is, I was working in the country. That was not a problem as I grew up in the country. 
It was before I was married. I boarded at that time with a family at a little town called Oodlewirra, almost halfway between Adelaide and Broken Hill. As often as possible, I would go home to my parents on the weekends. I had a car, and I also had a motorbike, but the motorbike was at home where my parents lived, about 12 kilometres east of Cambrai in the Murray Mallee. For a young man who did not have a lot of money, it was a reasonably expensive undertaking to run my car to and fro on these weekends. The round trip was about 700 kilometres, so I decided to take my motorbike up north as well and save some money by riding it home instead of driving the car. One cylinder should be cheaper to run than six cylinders. The first time I used the motorbike was in the early spring. Nights were cold, but I was young, fit and, of course, like most people, full of confidence. After I finished work one Friday afternoon, with all the things I needed packed and with a tank full of petrol, I set off in daylight. After I'd gone about a 100 kilometres, darkness set in, but that was no problem. I was a good rider, my motorbike was powerful and reliable, and I had good lights. But, unfortunately, about halfway into the journey, the unexpected happened. My rear tyre went flat out in the middle of nowhere. I could not see any lights of farmhouses, so I sat forward on the petrol tank to keep as much weight off the back wheel as possible and kept on riding. After a few kil- kilometres like this, I saw the lights of a farmhouse, so I rode up the track to the house. Dogs were barking loudly, announcing my presence. The farmer came out to see what was happening and to see who was coming in to visit him at this time of night. I explained what had happened and he was very helpful. He removed my wheel and took off the tyre. The inner tube was damaged beyond repair. You know, he said to me, I think I have an old spare inner tube out in the grain shed. We looked and sure enough there was an old red India rubber inner tube that was exactly the right size for my wheel. The tube held air. The farmer fitted it and put the wheel back on my bike. I was very grateful for this helpful farmer. I offered him some money, but he refused to take any. After the tyre was fitted, I was on my way again, thankful that that there were still such nice people in the world. But my troubles were only beginning. It was now quite late. It was getting colder, and it was a very dark night. Besides all this, I had never ridden such a long way in a single trip before. By the time I passed through Angerston, all the shops and garages had closed and people were cosily tucked up at home in front of their heaters and fires. The other side of Angerston, it was it is reasonably hilly, and the road had quite a few bends. Then it happened. The engine began to sputter and soon stopped. I was out of petrol, and there was no reserve tank on this motorbike. Fortunately, there were a few grooves in the bottom of the tank that held maybe a cup full of petrol, 
but to get the fuel into the carburetor I had to lay the motorbike almost flat to get that fuel to gravitate down through the pipe into the carburetor. Now there was a way to tell if there was fuel in the carburetor as there was a little button protruding from the carburetor bowl and when that was pushed if it had some resistance there was fuel inside. I pressed it and there was some resistance. I started the bike again and off I went. But after about a kilometre, the motor sputtered again and, of course, stopped. So I lent the bike over as earlier, hoping to get a few more drops into the carburetor. I was not very hopeful, but when you're desperate, you haven't many options. I was hoping a motorist might come along and give me assistance, but this was Friday night and on this lonely road, there was no one about. I stood the bike up again and pressed the tickler, the little button on the carburetor. There was no resistance, and no resistance meant no fuel. So what was I to do? Out there, alone, in the cold darkness, I prayed a simple prayer. My dear Father in heaven, I'm in trouble. Nothing is too hard for you. Would you help me, please? In Jesus' name. Amen. Now this motorbike had a kick start. I kicked the lever once, nothing. I kicked it a second time, and wonder of wonders, the motor fired up and ran sweetly. I set off again, running this time on a miracle, as I am 100% certain there was no fuel. Remember, I grew up on a farm and was used to machinery, including motorbikes. When I just reached the top of a long hill, the motor stopped. I coasted down the other side where there was a little village with one shop with one petrol bowser. Of course, the shop was closed, but I saw lights on in the nearby house where the shop owner lived. So I knocked on the door and told him my troubles. But we are closed, he said, somewhat annoyed. I pleaded with him for help until he reluctantly came outside and sold me some petrol. Was I ever grateful. The rest of the journey was uneventful except my heart was singing. God had done something so very special for me. He saw my desperation and allowed my motorbike to run just far enough when there was no fuel left. And he let it run long enough to get me out of trouble. Yes, God is good. God is generous. He will help you because he has compassion. Is he stern and exacting? Not in my experience. Although a time is coming then when there will be a reckoning, a judgment, where people will have to pay for their sins. This is called God's strange act, where the wicked ones will be destroyed. I hope you will be one of God's children and I hope you avail yourself of the generous gift of eternal life that our loving God offers. Until next time, this is Len signing off and wishing you peace, blessings and happiness. And thank you for being with us today and listening to this program, Give Me the Bible with Uncle Len. We'll just end this program with a song and we'll invite you to...
be back with us next week. God bless you. Second Corinthians twelve nine. 